Is your financial advisor a fiduciary or do they operate under the suitability standard? Today, Jason and I dive into the responsibilities of a financial advisor and how to tell which standard your advisor is operating under. Next on Money Speak. All right, greetings, everyone. Welcome to MB Wealth Management's Money Speak show. I'm Mike Pruitt, Certified Financial Planner uh, here in our Sun Prairie office and joined uh, on the video now, uh, new technology we're using is my esteemed colleague from our Wausau office, Jason Henrik, also a CFP. Mr. Henrik, how are we doing today, buddy? Hey, I even did my hair for today, Mike. Looks you good. see that? Looks good. Our, Got up this uh, our morning, radio sure and podcast people don't get to see it, but uh, that's why you should tune into the the video too. So, yeah, man, this is uh, this is exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to kind of this new new venture. I was looking. This is like our 21st or 22nd uh, podcast uh, and episode, and now we're kind of moving into video mode. So, should be fun. Yeah, I, I mean. You know, it's nice to kind of see how this evolves and uh, people can see our faces a little bit that want to watch the video uh, and that people that maybe don't want to see our faces uh, don't have to watch the video right. and hopefully just listen online. Yeah, they got the audio for that one. So, um, okay, so the topic we are hitting on today is, it's a big one and it's ironic because I, I literally, we we were delayed in starting this show because I had to answer some questions for one of my uh, accountant colleagues. And one of the things we're talking about directly related to an advisor who's clearly not operating as a fiduciary. So um, that's the, the topic du jour today is fiduciary. And there's so much to unpack with this. Um, I don't know how long we're going to go with the show. Uh, and we may actually even parse this into um, two shows just to you know, make it somewhat, uh, what palatable, uh, cause there's a lot to uncover here, right? Yep. There's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't know about you, Mike, but what I've noticed is over this past at least six months, as this word has really been thrown around, this fiduciary word has really been used a lot and thrown around. I've been asked by more people than ever before that have said, are you a fiduciary? And For that's sure. kind of what brought this up is that we got to talking about not only what a fiduciary means, because I think that word is being used a lot, but there's different levels and different types of, fidu of a fiduciary that come into play from that standpoint as well. Yeah. And it's, it surprises me how many people uh, don't know what it is. You know, when we're having conversations with people and you, you ask them, is your current advisor a fiduciary? they look at you like they don't even know what fiduciary means. So there's there's definitely a resurgence of popularity in this word, which probably comes from the failed DOL uh, attempt at the fiduciary rule. Uh, yep. But we still clearly have a lot more to go, a lot farther to go as a, um, as a profession and as an industry to teach people what this is. So it's definitely different. As long as we've both been in business, it's definitely different uh, than probably when we started. Uh, you know, I started in 2004 and it was, <clears throat> for lack of a better phrase, a little bit of the wild, wild west out there. Yeah. Um, still, not quite as bad maybe as the 80s and the 90s and when the movie Wall Street came out and everything like that, but it was still a little bit crazy. And you had heard this idea that was in, kind of in the pipeline, the future of, of the business. Um, but obviously, as time has come along, it's become more and more important as 
we frankly, rightly so, have been more and more scrutinized. Correct. And looked yeah, at from the standpoint of who, who are we really doing this for? And there's, um, you know, just like any other profession, probably. Uh, but, you know, when we put ourselves on the same side of the table as the client um, versus selling a product, um, you know, I think that that's really important because, frankly, the client trusts a lot of money to uh, financial planners, financial advisors. And um, if, if we don't keep and earn that trust, it looks bad on everybody. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I, uh, I heard an analogy about this uh, a little while ago, and I thought it was very interesting. It said, if you want to rob someone at 10% of their net worth, you can do it one of two ways. You can either rob a bank or you can sell them some unscrupulously ridiculous, uh, terrible garbage product. I won't yep. use the type of product, but I think a lot of people know what it is. And it carries a 10, 12% commission. One of them you'll go to jail for. The other one, absolutely nothing. You might get and a sales trip for. You might actually even win a trip for it. That's the thing. So that's that's the whole point of this, um, the concept of fiduciary and why I think this episode is so important. Um, but he, this is something interesting. And I don't know if, if you get this a lot, I, I especially when the DOL rule was still in play. When, when I would try to explain to people the idea of suitability versus a fiduciary standard. How many people did you get that were blown away by the fact that there are actually two standards of care? Uh, nearly all of them. I mean, right. right? Yeah. Like they couldn't believe that. Wait a minute. There's actually, you actually have to have something in place that tells you to do what's right for people. Yeah, which maybe is our first problem that we've even gotten to this point as an industry. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, we're being dealt with like, uh, in some cases, like children. And in a rightfully lot of cases, so. probably rightfully so. Yep. You know, at the end of the day, we, we, we as an industry, I, I don't want to say we as an industry deserve it, but um, it's just like uh, a lot of other things going on out there. Um, the actions of a few. Uh, create rules for all. Well, and, and I think too, you have to kind of take, take a step back and look at the evolution of this industry, right? It, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, the, the traditional model was the stockbroker, you know, or the insurance salesman. The banks yep. did their own things. Insurance companies did their own things. Stockbrokers did their own things. And the, they didn't come together on things, right? Then, you know, you had commissions. That was about the only way you did it. If you had a fee-based model, um, it only took place in the high net worth institutions, right? Now, as technology kind of moved along, we start, I think we've seen a gradual shift, maybe not quick enough, but it's happening from the commission model um, in everything, right? We're even seeing insurance products now that are not commission model, but more um, fee pay as you go model. And yep. I think that that evolution too has, um, you know, helped kind of move things more towards the fiduciary world, which it needs to be. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. When you look at insurance, it's still to the point, like when things like insurance, and we might break into that a little bit later, it's still to the point where it's very difficult because, it, it's a different it's a different type of product to price from a lot of standpoints like that, right? Um, 
so there's very few that are out there as far as a fee model for those types. Yep. 10 years, I'm pretty confident we'll be there. Right. You know, yep. it's just, that takes a little bit more time because of, there's probably a lot of moving parts and probably one of them is uh, most insurance sales and salesmen are older and you know, let's be honest. Well, in 20 years, maybe we'll be holding on to whatever we were at this age too. You know, there's, there's a model that you've used throughout your career and you stick to it. Yeah. I'm hoping though, it comes to that point where once again, everything's on the same level playing field. And once again, it's not, this job is not supposed to be a sales job. Not, yeah. not in its current state, maybe 20, 30 years ago, maybe it was a, a you know, a, a job where you're selling a product to, to earn, to earn pay, Right at the end of the day, what we're helping people do is we're helping people from a financial standpoint to find how their, you know, life is going to go and how they're going to react to different things in their life. And that's not a product. That's a life, right? That's a financial life. So we need to be able to help them from, from point A to point B to point Z. And there's no single product that goes out there. You, You know, you go online and you're like, Hey, look at this. It's, it's this great product. And at the end of the day, what we're looking for is we're not looking for products. We're looking for solutions to all these questions that come about in our lives. And those are going to come in how we organize that drawer that we have. You and I have talked about this before, that unorganized drawer that a lot of times people come to us with, right? Yeah. And how do we organize that drawer? And it's not going to be a single product. It's going to be a solution that's defined, you know, based off of that goal. Now, eventually we have to use something to go in there but we're not choosing beforehand what we're going to use until we get to the point of we've defined the issue. We've defined the problems. We've defined this, the, the solution from a very um, macro standpoint. And now we're breaking down into what are we using to, to what's the best way. And that's where a fiduciary comes in. What's the best way to actually solve that issue in a comparison of different products. Right. So I think that's a good jumping off point for, um, so one of the differences I think between fiduciary and suitability comes down to what's at, at the center, right? Is yep. it, are we focused on a product to sell or are we focused on a solution to provide? Um, so I want you to take a little bit of time and how you describe or how you walk through the difference between that fiduciary and, and suitability standard, because we're going to come back to this down the road. The last thing I want to do in the show today is talk about how somebody goes out and finds out if they have a fiduciary um, and some of the questions that get asked along the way to figure this out. So you, you break down for us the fiduciary standard and the suitability standard, and maybe even bring in um, an example of, of each and, and compare those two. Wow. Do you want me to do anything else? You want breakfast after this or? That's it. That's it. You got 40 more minutes to fill. Go. I'm trying to think of who um, put this out there. So, cause I'd like to give proper credit. This is not a saying that I came up with and I'm trying to think of who did. Um, and I cannot right now, but the, the, one of the best explanations that I've come up that I've heard when it comes to very, very simplifying, very much simplifying, fiduciary standard versus uh, the standard of care uh, and, and, and a sales process, right? Is uh, under the standard of care, 
a businessman wants to comes in and wants to buy a business suit. You have to sell him a suit, right? Okay. Fiduciary, the suit has to fit. In other words, it's 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 suitable. You know, you're selling him a suit. He yep. came in and he wanted a suit that technically solves the issue. But if the suit doesn't fit, right, he may need to come back to you next week and buy another suit. As a fiduciary, that suit has to fit his body. And so he doesn't have to come back next week and find a, buy another suit because that suit fits. Unless it's around Thanksgiving, deer hunting, somewhere in that area where... Uh, it's not gonna <clears throat> I don't know about anybody else, but I tend to put on a few pounds. Uh, maybe I'd have to go back and get a new suit then. But in the grand scheme of things, you have to have a suit that fits. So um, what it comes down to is, you know, if we're comparing, comparing what's called Reg BI, which is the best interest contract versus the fiduciary. And I'm going to kind of read this, and this is off of uh, basically right off of the FINRA uh, website and right off when we're talking about the SEC is Reg BI requires that brokers act in the best interest of the retail customers at the time of recommendation. And this is really important. If you notice at the time of recommendation, they have to act in the best interest of their, their retail customer without placing the broker's financial or other interest ahead of the interests of the consumer. Okay, sounds pretty good so far. The new standard is satisfied if the broker satisfied, uh, satisfied specified disclosure, care, conflicts, and compliance obligations. In other words, they tell them about other conflicts of interest, how they're being compensated, um, you know, any, any other compliance issues that may come about. Here's where it gets interesting is the Reg BI standard applies only to the moment that a transaction is completed. Does that make sense? So in other words, once again, we talk about that suit. They're, they came in and looking for a suit. All that suit needs to be is a suit, okay? Um, while the fiduciary duty applies throughout the advisor's relationship with the client. In other words, that suit has to fit you have to have a solution that is not just right for this very singular moment in time, but you have to be providing that advice and that fiduciary capability throughout that process. All right. You're not just selling the, you're not just using a product, selling a product. You are, you are finding and applying a solution. Um, so that was kind of going off there because of this and other differences it is critical that customers understand whether they're hiring an advisor or a broker and what that engagement entails. Uh, investors should be careful to understand what services exactly are agreed, agreed to by the broker and what obligations the broker has when it recommends a security or investment uh, strategy to a customer. Um, so uh, the long and short from, from what I've, kind of gained from all of this. Now, obviously we don't work on that side. We don't work for a broker dealer. You know, we, we, we left that area a while back. Um, but I was having a really interesting conversation with a good friend of mine um, a couple of weeks ago, who still is on that side, who still does, you know, work for a broker dealer. And he was talking with me about the different paperwork that they have to do and the different compliance issues that we, they have to face. And I kind of smiled on my face thinking, yeah, at least we don't have to deal with that. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was just a different, it's just a different level. And I think from a fiduciary standpoint is you're not just looking at this moment in time, you're looking at the future when you're recommending some sort of strategy. You're not, you're not putting a bandaid on it. You're actually doing what you have to do to solve the issue. 
Well, and I, I think it's important to recognize why all this matters is because unfortunately bad things do happen along the way. And yep. there are, there are legal ramifications for this in, in each area. Right. So when you have a situation where somebody has, uh, a, and, and, don't get me going. We could do a whole nother podcast on the terminology of titling of, of people who are, you know, the financial advisor to the financial consultant to the financial, you know, expert to all the different titles that come with it. Um, but when a financial person does something uh, unscrupulous or, or what the client is deemed to be something wrong to them and it comes down to litigation, right? And they're sued, there's arbitration, all the different pieces that the legal system has in place. In the fiduciary world, there is a much higher standard that has to be met. If I'm called to the carpet in this situation by a client and I'm under the fiduciary standard at all times, I have to explain a ton about everything I know about the client, what I've learned, what I know about the client's future, everything else that is in play, why I felt like that recommendation was not only good for them at that time, at that day, but why this would benefit them down the road for the rest of, maybe not the rest of their life, but at least to meet the goals, right, that we're trying to achieve. That same problem in the world of suitability has an attorney go, well, you sign this piece of paper, that said the day you did it, that it was suitable for you. Do you remember signing this? Yep. You're done. Case over. Yep. To me, that's as a consumer and there are bad apples on both sides of this. Don't get me, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to come across as the fiduciary is, is the cat's is the only here, way. Right. Absolutely. And, and there are situations, honestly, where probably not having a fiduciary advisor isn't going to be a big deal for you. But I think the point of this podcast and something that we talk about a lot is, look, I just want you to know as a consumer so you're better educated because then you might decide, you know what, I don't need the fiduciary in this situation or holy cow, I really should have a fiduciary and I don't. And that's one of the areas that people, I don't think they understand is why does all this matter? Well, if it came down to it and something bad happened in the fiduciary world, you're, the advisors really got to show a lot of work was done in that recommendation. In the suitability world, it's basically like, well, you signed this form, so now what? Yep. Good luck. And once again, obviously we're biased, right? We chose the path that we chose for a reason. We felt like it was the best way to go, right? There are other people that chose a different path that are probably, and in a lot of cases definitely aren't, really good at what they do. Yeah. But chose a different path. There's absolutely in a lot in, in, in these ways, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right. right? And, and, and that's where I agree with you is that we're simply here. And the point of this is to help educate people, to let them make their own decisions with full, you know, understanding in mind right. on what different types of uh, people in our profession are here to do. Well, it's like we said earlier, right? How many people were surprised that there's a separate standard of care when, when we say like, oh, you know, well, they don't have to do what's in your best interest at all times. Well, what do you mean? How is that possible? Well, exactly. There, there are multiple, there are two standards of care. Um, 
theoretically, there's actually a third, but we won't dig into that. We go through that in our CFP curriculum, but we won't <laughs> dig into that piece. For the most part, there's two, two separate, right? Fiduciary and suitability. And as we'll talk about, there's different levels in kind of the fiduciary world too. And so I think consumers just need to understand um, what they're getting and, and their situation, what they should be getting. So yep. um, let's, you know, let's take a little bit of time and just talk about, um, let's talk about the different people that are involved in these situations and start kind of working towards, for somebody listening, how do I know if I have a fiduciary and how do I know if I need a fiduciary? Right. So when we talk about, I would say, let's talk about the parties involved and let's talk about compensation because those things have some impact on fiduciary versus suitability, right? Some, some, yeah. and and it's not necessarily, you know, as we've talked in the past, uh, there are fiduciaries that sell commission products. Yeah. That's fine. And then that's all that they sell. You know, they don't even do in in a lot of cases. They're considered a fiduciary and they have commissioned products. As long as they can prove that this is the best interest of the client now and in the future for recommending a certain product to solve this, to solve the, the, the issue, um, they can still use the word fiduciary. Correct. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about who can be, who can't be and everything else. And that's what we're going to try to unpack with this. Um, So we are, let's start with who we are as a firm and use that as kind of a compare and contrast. And we're actually, we're probably pretty well suited to do this because of where we came from uh, before we made the transition over to a 100% registered investment advisor, right? So we are an RIA right? So registered investment advisor. And you have, uh, I would say the, the counterparty to that, and I shouldn't say counterparty, but um, for lack of a better phrase, broker dealers are kind of the other big player in this picture. Yep. Right. So broker dealer versus RIA. You want to take a stab at that one on the most basic level? Because I, I mean, there's a ton to that one itself. On a basic level, and this language is always changing. I guess you could say, in fact, how it, how it is. One of one of our favorite. You, you and I both listen to him is, is Kitsis, and he talked about how broker dealers technically. And this was a few years ago, but I want to give a shout out there because he talked about a few few years ago is that a broker dealer technically, in his mind, cannot be considered uh, a fiduciary because. Um, you and I have both worked for um, broker-dealers in the past, even before our, our last one here, um, where we were at broker-dealers. And I remember those clients, you are technically considered a registered representative. Yes. And the, re- and the representative is your representative of the broker-dealer. Those clients are not yours. Those clients are the broker-dealers. You are servicing them in a sales role uh, as a representative of the broker dealer, right. right? And the compensation when when the when the client pays for services, yep, they are paying ultimately the broker dealer, right? Right. And so then, what you have is you have the elevator aspect where the broker dealer gets paid. The elevators going on down the the shaft there um, to eventually hit the. Uh, 
typically commission salesperson at the bottom, right? So whereas when you have a registered investment advisory firm, okay, there isn't the elevators. Now uh, the advisory firm uses what's called a clearing firm and they both do, um, but they use a clearing firm and the registered investment advisory firm puts themselves by nature because of how they are and how they get compensated, which is on a fee schedule rather than on a commission schedule. They put themselves in a lot of ways on the same side of the table as the client. I'd argue all sides. Uh, somebody might, I don't know, argue with me on that. I guess that's fine. Um, but I'd argue on all sides, you put yourself on the same side of the client because we are not beholden to a particular product fund solution uh, because when we're working on that fee basis, we're getting compensated by the same percentage either way, right? So there's no, there's no uh, natural bias there towards, I mean, there might be a natural bias. You might really like particular funds within a model or particular whatever else, but you're getting compensated. It doesn't matter who you use, what fund company you use, what ETF you use, what stock you buy or sell, anything else, you're getting compensated in the same way. And that's a percentage, whether it be a percentage of assets under management or whether it be on a, a, maybe a fee only where you're charging you know, a financial planning fee and you're simply working the investments in there, um, different compensation schedule for that. But the biggest difference is, is you are not a representative of, you know, as an advisor, you're not a representative of XYZ broker dealer. That's the way that I've always kind of explained it in a short-ish manner. Yeah. Well, and, and I think a, it, a lot of it comes down to the products you're allowed to sell, right? Yep. You have to have a broker-dealer in order to sell um, the commission-based products. Um, you, don't need the, you don't do that when you're on the registered investment advisor side. The other big piece of it is who, who regulates you know, the, the laws that regulate this in the registered investment advisor world, um, you know, it, it falls under basically, like in our case, the purview of the SEC, right? And we're, RIAs are specifically governed under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And that that is where not, technically it doesn't come from that, the fiduciary concept in a roundabout way it does, but uh, yeah. section 206 of the act is what actually starts basically talking about, we can't engage in uh, fraudulent, deceptive, manipulative behavior when you're held out to the consumer. And it actually took a Supreme court act before really that was kind of defined to say, look, that that's being a fiduciary. So right. the RIA is governed under that fiduciary world. Um, whereas the broker dealer is not. And we see this and I just had a situation the other day where firms can do both. And, and we did that from the yeah. inception of the firm, you know, eight, nine years ago to a decision we made collectively as a group a few years back, you can operate in what we call a hybrid mode, right? Or this, this dual Duly registered, right? Where, and, and this is so challenging for clients. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you the example that I ran into the other day where, uh, potential new clients and we're talking and I asked them, you know, I said, we're a fiduciary. Um, you know, is your current firm a fiduciary? He could have swore they were, you know, uh, he had had a conversation with them. He had asked the question. He thought they said yes, everything else. But I, you know how the portfolio looks. I, I can, when I look at a portfolio, when you look at a portfolio, you can see based on the investments in that portfolio, you can almost promise 
they aren't a fiduciary. Either they're yep. a fiduciary and they're not holding up their standard or they're not a fiduciary. And in right. this case, when we started digging into it, what we found was they were duly registered. They had an arm that was the broker dealer side, like we had, where they had these types of commissioned mutual fund products. And then they had a registered investment advisor side, which would fall under the fiduciary. And how confusing is that? And I'm not saying again, it's not good or bad. It, it's just a business model that consumers need to be aware of. You may think that you're working with a firm in a fiduciary uh, relationship when the reality is you're working with the broker dealer side, not the RIA side, right? The, the thing with that is it kind of depends on which side you're on too. You could think they could say, yes, I'm a fiduciary through XYZ RIA, corporate IRA, RIA. Yeah. That might not be end up being what you're doing with them because they also have the registered representative side. And then you're not getting the fiduciary aspect of it. Yeah. You're getting the standard of care aspect of it, which once again is moment of sale, right? Right. And that's you don't a, know, you may well, not know that's because- That's a big point. That moment of sale concept is really, when it comes down to fiduciary versus suitability, right? That moment of sale concept is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it was, you know, and it's so interesting when we, when we talk about too, is, is this fiduciary capacity and, and a lot of people equate that just to investments. And so let's break into for a second, like, let me give you an example from an investment standpoint, right? How many times I have seen a client come over, just as you talked about a client come over, uh, they were at a broker dealer, this, that, and the other, and they had these investments and they said, yeah, I've held them since, I don't know, let's just say 2008. Never changed a single thing. Over that point in time, those man, you know, two of the funds had like three or four manager changes. They've completely changed philosophies. They've completely changed their fee structure. They've done this. They've done that. You know, the underlying expenses of the funds. They've changed all of this. But there was never anybody that was looking at it because at the moment, even in that, maybe in that advisor's mind, at the moment of sale, right? Those were good products. And that's, like I said, nothing against it. At the moment of sale, those were good products. Now, what's happened over this last 12 years, are those still the best solutions for the client, right? right. Now, you may be afraid to go back to it because, you know, in, in some cases, I've seen it. Uh, where an advisor is afraid to go back to it because he doesn't want to have to charge a new commission, right? He's still getting paid on it in a lot of cases. Um, just to give everybody kind of an idea there, there's, there's upfront, there's ongoing, there's all kinds of different sales commission. structures, cost commission, structures. Though, that, that, and that's um, key, right? They're commissions. Yep. Uh, but he may not want to, I've seen that, but in a lot of cases they may just not want to deal with it because they've already gotten paid on it, right? They've already earned in their mind, their commission, right? They've earned their commission. They earned it back in 2008, yada, yada, yada. And a client in the same aspect may be afraid to move back and forth because they know, man, if I move, guess what? It's a new commission. So I'm not going to do anything with it. Right. Right. I mean, it could, it could go both ways. I've seen it go both ways. Whereas when you're working on that fee structure, which is one of the big differences, I think between that broker dealer side, even though there's that corporate RIA or when you're talking about fee base versus a commission schedule uh, or a fee versus a commission schedule, excuse me. Oh my goodness. Um, when you're talking about those differences is, you know, when we talk about a lot of things that we do, 
uh, going back, doing rebalancing. Well, that doesn't, that's not charging a new commission. You're rebalancing, you're charging that fee, you're going to pay the, save, the fee the same way either way. So if there's not fund that has had manager changes, you, they hired a bunch of young, young kids fresh out of college to run their fund, uh, no thanks, I don't want to be in that fund. Um, I don't care what that fund's done in the past. Um, we need to move somewhere else you know, or whatever reason, or maybe the returns haven't been good, or maybe something else is going on, right, that necessitates a move, you can do that. Um, because once again, you're providing that fiduciary, once again, past awesome. moment of sale, yep. where you're constantly evaluating and re-implementing. So you, you touched on a couple of big things there that I want to just kind of expound on a little bit. And that's um, understanding the the types of compensation in our industry because this was pointed out to me in a conference a few years ago and I thought it was just I had never it just never dawned on me that when you see a lot of people in our profession a lot of businesses first off you never see anybody advertised as you know they don't hold themselves out as I'm a commission-based salesperson but how many companies out there in their tagline or in their actual, you know, on their website, everything that they advertise is I'm a fee only advisor, right? I can't think of another industry that holds itself out in such loud fashion by the way it's compensated. By the way it's compensated. And right? Like, in, in the can grand you imagine going to things? a doctor who advertises like, hey, I'm a doctor who gets paid $200,000 a year from XYZ hospital. Like, no, you're a doctor. That's all we care about. That's all um, you are. But it, it, it is trying. I don't, I think in, a, in our profession, maybe we've tried to kind of create this world. Pendulum. Of it's the pendulum swing, Mike. So what it is, it's the pendulum swing, right? So we've always gone by as this, as this, is this industry that makes a bunch of money and nobody knows how. Yeah, that right? is true. It's just like the markets. So when you think about like stocks go high and they go low and they go this and they go that, and it's, we've always said it's like a pendulum. So that's how we get paid too, is now we feel there's such a need to explain to everybody how we're getting paid, how much we're getting paid, how much we make, how much this, how much that, right? We have to, we have to disclose all of the, a lot of that for Christ's sakes. And we have to disclose, you know, all of these things. And so then we push ourselves out there as, once again, you and I are probably doing it right now. We're talking about the way that we do things we, we think is better, right? We think is better. Somebody else may come back the other way and say their way is better. At the end of the day, it really shouldn't matter, right? but it does. And we wish it didn't because that would put the, the, um, the, the how, do I, how do I explain this best? What our job should be about is helping our clients right? Yeah. Who's the best at helping their clients get from point A to point B to point Z, right? But instead, what we're kind of stuck in is we're stuck in this area of like, uh, who gets paid what? Yeah. And that's, and that's once again, that's not even talking about fiduciary. That's talking about this, this pay, pay schedule, right? Well, it, right. It, there's inherent conflicts of interest that come along with actually all of these models. So if we think about Correct. the three main compensation models in our industry, we have uh, we have commission based, which we've which we've talked about. You sell a product, um, usually product provider pays 
broker dealer or the company that's sponsoring and then it kicks back to the salesperson, right? Everyone's yep. familiar with the commission world. Um, then you have the fee based and you have the fee only. And there's definitely some gray area there. We could probably dedicate an entire show to that concept. Um, uh, there's want to try long, to tackle that long story one. short. It, there seems to be such, there's very little difference between fee based and fee only. Agreed. Very little. Yep. Um, what we talked about before, um, I know for us, let's just use us as an example. The insurance world right now, when, we, when we're talking financial planning with our clients, insurance comes into play. No one likes yes. to talk about it. No one likes to, frankly, mess with it because it kind of has a dirty little name to it too, right? You know, in a lot of people's minds because they've been peddled something for so long uh, from a sales practice. So when, even when we're talking about financial planning, we have to cross that bridge um, because that is a, certainly an important part is risk management for our clients, okay? Um, that is still behind the schedule of how the world works and how the world is shifting to more of a fee schedule. Uh, so frankly, one thing that we do have to disclose is that we're, we do, you know, we still can earn commissions from insurance sales. Right. Right. And so and we like disclose we said, that, that doesn't make you a non fiduciary. It doesn't make us a non fiduciary. It makes us fee based. The difference is when you're talking about fee only, when they talk about insurance, either they don't bother with it. So they're just dealing. They may just deal with financial planning. They may just deal only with investments. Um, and when it comes to insurance, either they don't bother with it or they refer it out, sure. right? We just prefer to do that in-house, right? So that to me is the biggest difference. And it's such a minute difference to me. There's, uh, I just prefer, like I said, as, as we're doing our financial planning with our, with our clients, I like to kind of have my hands in, I guess you could say all aspects of it. So we can, we can, uh, work with our clients from point A to point Z as far as how this all gets structured and how everything works out, right? Sure. Other people don't. That's fine. Well, so it's really interesting you talked about that that blurred line between fee-only and fee-based. I don't know if you ever saw this, but uh, this was in June of 2015. CNBC reported uh, their top 100 RIAs for the year. So top 100 registered investment advisors. And it was top Basically, it was all titled as top fee-only RIAs, right? And weren't like almost this? none of them fee-only? Nine out of the top 10 are not actually fee-only uh, based on CFP <laughs> board standards. Um, when you went and you actually looked at the ADV part two and the disclosures, that nine out of the top 10 also did insurance or they owned an insurance agency, or they're under common ownership along with an insurance affiliated, and that's where clients are referred. Again, it's not a it's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing, it's just a thing, but the idea is, is that there is, to your point, fee only, fee-based, commission, at the end of the day, it's all a fee. It's still something the client has to pay. So right or wrong, I think the thing that we're, we're trying to push through in this message as a firm and hopefully as a profession is that there may be, there's not, there's not an only right or wrong way to do something. There may be a situation where, look, you're going to be served just fine by somebody that makes a commission on the suitability standard in this case. And you don't need to go in and list the services of a CFP that works for a re you know, a registered investment advisor. But 
There may be plenty of situations where somebody should have that CFP or, or at least some knowledgeable, because I don't want to hang it out there that CFPs are everything. Uh, there's plenty of great advisors out there who don't carry those credentials, but if they work for an RIA, they're, part, they're under the fiduciary rule, and maybe that is what you need as a consumer and as an investor. And those are the people that I think we're really trying to reach is the ones saying, hey, look, you think you're under the fiduciary standard? You're wrong. You, right? you are probably not in a lot of cases. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Um, we got the parties involved. We've got the commissions. We've covered the different, uh, the fiduciary versus suitability standards. Let's look at just in the fiduciary world, the different, the, the different couple levels we have. Right. Okay. So we know. So you're talking like the SEC standard. Correct. CFP fiduciary yep. standard. Yep. Yep. So, and then, so we, the SEC, I think is, is probably the, that's, that's the birthplace of the fiduciary standard, right? And, and I alluded to it in the beginning. That is the uh, the, the 40 Act, um, the Supreme Court ruling that basically kind of tied everything together and said fiduciary. If you are part of something under the Investment Advisor Act, you are operating in fiduciary status, right? Yep. Now, I think it's something else that I, th I think people have to understand here is the SEC rules don't actually prevent you or stop you from engaging in conflicts of interest. They, it just you simply have to disclose them. Higher level of disclosure, right? Yep. And you need to communicate very transparently because it can't be again deceptive, fraudulent, manipulative, right? Those are the three components of that, and that's where you know again it. A lot of this comes down to communications to the public and how do you, how you hold yourself out to the client. Um, and that's really, you know, that's the crux of the SEC standard, you know, when we talk about the fiduciary rule. Now, you're fresh out of the CFP curriculum a year ago? Yeah. Right? Wow, it's been a, a year. year already. Yeah. Crazy. 11 months. A Close year. Close enough. It's, <laughs> it's, it's Corona timeline, so it feels like it's a couple years. It feels like now. it's been about 12 years. Yeah. Um, so touch on fiduciary standard. Because under the CFP world, that's uh, kind of unique as well. So the first thing is with the fiduciary Stanford standard, and we've talked about this a number of times, is, is uh, you know, I do have to say it's, it's not necessarily binding until a, you know, a contract is signed, it's in place. Now you're held to the fiduciary Stanford standard. And we, we've, you know, we have our own paperwork that obviously, you know, with our clients, we, we sign, we get it in place. Boom, we're, we become the fiduciary, right? Um, I will say though, is, uh, and you kind of brought this up, you lose those credentials. That's enough for us to, uh, you know, not want to, uh, mess that up. I don't know about you. It would take me about a year and a half of, of, of everything, uh, to work through all of this. And I worked very hard to get my, my CFP designation. I'm not going to do anything to lose it. Um, Here's the biggest difference between like the SEC standard and what I explained to be the, the CFP standard of care, right? Or the CFP fiduciary standard. SEC standard applies to investments, right? We yep. are providing us an investment solution that is best now and in the future for this standpoint, okay? Yep. 
when we are talking CFP fiduciary standard, if I'm talking to you and I explain, and, and the best way for me to explain it is if I'm talking to you about your investments or your insurance or your mortgage or what type of health insurance, how to work your health insurance. If I'm having a discussion and providing recommendations on how to do that, I am held to a that CFP fiduciary standard whenever I'm discussing any of those financial matters. If I'm talking to you about your taxes, which we have plenty of accountants surrounding us that can really handle all of that. Um, but we are held to that standard, right? Um, what's interesting is, is there's, is, is like even the CFP has been adjusting. They used to have six steps in a financial planning process. They now over the last year have adjusted that they make it seven steps of a financial planning process that really lays out for us the steps that we need to um, kind of follow in a sense when we're dealing with clients, as far as financial planning, you know, understanding their, their personal financial circumstances, identifying and selecting their goals, you know, their current course of action and the potential alternative courses of action. In other words, you got to analyze, we have to analyze what happens if they continue on the exact same path that they're on and then, uh, you know, any potential different ways that we could go, right? Recommend developing the recommendations, presenting them, uh, implementing them, and then monitoring the progress and updating as need be, which is once again, very much like the SEC um, fiduciary standard formula extends to everything, right? So the SEC being, you know, you need to be a fiduciary from here into the future. When you look at the end, the seventh step of the financial planning process, which is monitoring progress and updating, means that we continue to be a fiduciary as long as we have a contract relationship with that client, right? We have to continue to provide that fiduciary care throughout the process. Yep. Yep. So, and then I would say there's even kind of this, this third world, which are these private organizations that you've more or less as an advisor committed to. Uh, you sign a little contract that says I'll act as a fiduciary. Uh, NAPFA is a, a very common version of yep. that. Um, but I think it's important for people to recognize too that really there's only one of these that's legally binding in most situations and that's going to be the SEC rule, right? It's going to be that that paperwork that you and the client sign together that says you're operating as a fiduciary. Because the reality is you could be an advisor and you could sign the paperwork for a company or for NAPFA that says, I will promise to be a fiduciary. But if the client and the, the advisor don't have that contract, uh, there's really not what you're going to get kicked out of the organization. That's about it. Save you a couple of thousand bucks a year, probably in fees and yeah. costs to uh that you have to pay to them to be a part of the organization, I guess. Yep. True. <laughs> right. And CFP is the same way. You know, the biggest punishment there most likely is you're going to lose your marks. It's not going to make, help make the client whole again. Um, and I think that's important to recognize too, that just because you're working with somebody who is a CFP, they should act as a fiduciary for you. Um, but if they don't, what's the actual, uh, what's the actual ramifications of it? Right. If, if, if push comes to shove. So yeah, um, the, you know, so let's, let's use that and go to, how do you figure out, you know, if you have a fiduciary or not? Cause ultimately that's, that's kind of where I wanted uh, to go with. Yeah. This why don't and, you break into that? And, and this is what are some ways that people listening to this now that they hopefully have stuck with us through 
45 minutes of this because it is some dry stuff, but I think it's super important for people to understand. But um, now they know the parties involved. They know there's ways to get compensated. They understand fiduciary versus suitability. How do you know if your advisor is? Because one of the most common things I hear is, well, just ask them. But you know what? I ran into somebody last week where they asked them and they were told, yep, we're a fiduciary, but they clearly weren't, right? So I have a couple different ideas in mind. Um, let me know if you've got any ways, um, you know, but okay, obviously, first thing is ask them. Yep. Right? But I, wanted, I want you to take it a step further. Show it to me in writing because that should be in writing. This isn't something like in our world, uh, for us, every relationship that's we have that's a fiduciary, they sign and with they sign documentation that they receive the ADV2A and in that ADV documentation, it spells out we are a fiduciary for the clients. And yes. we all sign that together as a party, right? Our chief compliance officer, us as the uh, advisor, the client. So you ask the question, are you a fiduciary for me? Oh yeah, absolutely. Show it to me in writing. Where did we do that? If you've got an ADV2A when you started your relationship with your advisor, you're probably under a fiduciary standard. But that's a pretty fair assumption, right? But I know a lot of people that they didn't keep that ADV2A. It's not the most exciting material out there. No offense to my lawyer friends, but I mean, you know what it's like when you put together legal paperwork. I um, used to fall asleep at night sometimes. I'll read through it. Bingo. Bingo. So how many people kept that? If you didn't and you don't remember getting it, it's on fire. Ask for it. Ask for a copy. Right? Absolutely. Um, yep. What else? What are some other ways? Portfolio? Yeah. Portfolio. To an extent. You know, um, how taking, you, can, you can take a look at your portfolio and if you see what you, let's just, let's just use mutual funds for an example, right? Uh, you may see different especially from an investment advisory representative standpoint, an RIA representative uh, or registered investment advisory firm, uh, you, can look at your, you can look at your funds that you hold, particularly the mutual funds. And at the end of the fund name, it'll say like A, C, I, F. I've seen yeah. N, O, C. There's all kinds of them, right? But ask your advisor to explain how they were compensated and the ongoing compensation from those funds right yeah absolutely and that's a big thing because i have seen it and i cannot count it the number of times where i've even seen within the same mutual fund company and this is a big no-no i've seen a client come in with funds within the same mutual fund company okay different names at the end but it might be i, I don't want to throw out yeah. it's xyz yep. fund a and xyz fund b right? right and those are in different share classes and that is a complete no-no in our industry right so like for us, we, with how we operate, we have to use the lowest cost share class available. We have to. Yep. Uh, so if even a fund comes in, if we transfer in assets from, from a different firm, uh, we have to immediately convert those into the lowest cost share class available right off the bat. Yep. Um, that certainly helps. Once again, before we talked about a commission can be considered a fiduciary in some aspects of what they do. So that can sure. certainly help. Um, Website is another website. thing I was going to Website disclosures. So website disclosures, 
Um, this is particularly interesting when you're looking for that duly registered, which again is how we figured this out with the, the client that I was talking to. They said, yes, they think they're fiduciary. I went and looked, I could tell by the portfolio either again, they weren't a fiduciary or if they were, they're not meeting their fiduciary standard just based on that. Plus the fact, and you alluded to this earlier, they hadn't made any changes to the portfolio in 10 years. And any change they wanted to make had to be cleared through the client. Guess what? There's no discretion there. If there's not discretion, odds are pretty good. Probably not fiduciary, right? Probably now, not. So we go to the website. When we go to the website, what we see is securities offered through XYZ Financial, member FINRA SIPC, advisory services offered through ABC Financial, a registered investment advisor. That nomenclature tells you that this is a duly registered company, meaning your advisor could be operating under fiduciary or under suitability. And in this- And you probably don't know the difference. You don't, and they didn't. They didn't know the difference. And most consumers don't, and that's the point of this, right? It's why we have careers. It's why we're educating people with this. When they went back to the firm and they pressed them a little bit more, what their answer was that they got back was, we're not a fiduciary for you, but we are for these clients over here. If you'd like to move to that style, um, we're happy to move you over. Well, that's fine. And my big question back was, well, why wouldn't they have done that for you in the first place? Why, why wouldn't you have fell under that model that's yep. the fiduciary, right? But again, they don't know and it's okay. We're, we're trying to get more consumers to understand. So when you see, when you want to know if you're, a, if you're under a fiduciary, ask. Ask to see it in writing. Look at your portfolio. If your portfolio is built of a bunch of mutual funds all in the lowest share class, when you look online, that's a good sign, right? That's a good yep. thing. That means they're put, making sure that your expense ratios aren't too high. And like you said, those expense ratios, the higher they are, it's typically because there's some type of compensation that is going back to Correct. the advisor, right? And look yep. at the disclosures on the website, right? So we, we all of those things together should be enough to really clue you in as to whether or not you're under the fiduciary uh, yep. standard. Fair? Fair. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't, and I'm trying to think of something else here, but I'm struggling. Um, <sighs> oh, you know, you, you'd brought up before, understand how they're getting compensated. Um, once again, I mean, some people just get paid differently and that's okay. You know, and, and that's where we don't want to, we're trying to stay as unbiased as we possibly can. Obviously we have a biasness, right? We chose the way that we do things for a reason. Model. Yeah. But that's, that's okay. If somebody else chose a different way to do it. Um, what I always found interesting is, and you'll see it sometimes online, you'll see it. Somebody says, Hey, I want a trip because I sold this. Forgot about that piece of compensation. Does that ever drive me nuts? And how do you think the person that they as they, as they said themselves, that they sold the two fields yep. when the company issuing it, and this is where my huge, my huge issue comes into play, when the company issuing it felt so unconfident in that particular product that they have to attach a trip to whoever sells the most. All right. Yeah. Now, I, and this isn't to attack all industries because some industries, other industries do that as well, right? Like we all know friends that yep. sold a bunch of 
whatever widgets yeah. and get a trip out of it. That's not to disparage that side of it, right? Because there's different industries are built differently with us, with what we do, with how we manage and help people's finances and monies. Our solution should not be decided whether we get to go to Jamaica next month or not. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's my issue. And there's part of me that doesn't even care about that. I, I really don't. Everybody deserves to be compensated fairly for the job they provide. I think for me, it's all about, you better understand as a consumer, how the person you're working with is getting compensated. One of the unique aspects of an RIA is that the money that is paid from the client goes directly to the RIA. It's not going through the analogy you used, that elevator shaft where it starts here and comes down here, then this happens and this happens, then this happens. Our clients pay us directly. Nobody, nobody steps in the middle of that. Um, now, uh, we're running up against time real quick, um, but I, I think we've covered everything we want to cover. I think we may have to do another show that talks about Reg BI and how this ties in, but I think you know as well as I do, there's still a lot of unknowns with Reg BI, and I, I see headlines all the My time. My gosh. New court challenges. Try so, to keep up with that. Good yeah, luck. You can't do it. So uh, any last uh, tidbits you want to throw onto this before we uh, put a bow on it? Hey, uh, I heard this morning we should stop buying Velcro. It's a real ripoff. <laughs> oh boy! All right, that's it, folks. We got our uh, we got our Jason Henrik joke of the day. Dad uh, joke. We, no, you know what? We needed something to to spice up. Uh, I you know I realized that. F- 50 some minutes of fiduciary and suitability conversation can get long winded. So, um, you know, uh, our goal is just to educate everybody out there and hopefully this, this really helps a lot. So, uh, yeah, at the end of the any, day, we know it's long and we know that, yeah, frankly, it's but really it's probably boring in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, people need to know this Correct. stuff and for sure our, our industry gets scrutinized and a lot of times fairly. So, yep. so we're trying to, we're trying to be out here and, helping. That's it. All right. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, um, leave them in the comments or shoot them to us on our Facebook page. You can find Jason and I both on LinkedIn. Um, you can email us to um, mike.pruitt at mbewealth.com, jason.henrick at mbewealth.com, our website, mbewealth.com. Uh, we're all over social media, so just track us down there. And uh, as always, we appreciate you uh, watching this. If you've watched for the first time or, uh, or tuning into the podcast or, or hearing it on the radio, uh, we greatly appreciate it. And we'll talk to you all next time. Cheers. Hey, thank you much. Money Speak is hosted by MVE Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Views expressed on this show are of the hosts and guests only. Information contained in this show should not be considered investment advice, tax advice, or personal recommendations. Consult your financial or tax professional with questions. Advice may only be provided after entering into an advisory agreement with MBE Wealth Management.